I am not teaching this morning, but uh, we have a special guest that will be teaching in my stead today. Today, praise the Lord. And that's Dr. Myers, and we're asking her to come. God bless you this time and assume this class. Praise God. And I'll let her have you be seated. Yes, you can be seated. And I do have handouts since you are accustomed to that. So, Brother Edwards, if you, they already have them. Okay, great. Well, good morning. I uh, count it a privilege to speak with you today. And I am speaking on one of my favorite subjects, which is prayer. And as you know, I wrote a booklet, many of you probably still have it, on uh, how to pray effectively. And so I'm continuing in that vein this morning um, and adding a a few more thoughts to uh, what I wrote about uh, probably, what, 10 years ago. Can everyone hear me back there? Denise, can you hear me? Okay. My voice has gotten very raspy, as you can tell. I'm not sick, (laughs) thank God, and uh, I don't have a cold, but my voice has gotten raspy. So, praying effectively. The first scripture there in your handout uh, that we want to look at is James 4.3. And it reads, You ask and you receive not because you ask amiss. The definition of the word amiss is the wrong way. So if we put that meaning, in, uh, meaning insert it in that verse, it will be, You ask and you receive not because you ask in the wrong way. Now, James, uh, who was apostle, wrote this to the church in Jerusalem. His book is addressed to the church. So he is speaking here to saints. He's not talking necessarily to the world, but he's talking to the church, you and me, and telling us, you pray but you're praying in the wrong way. And then in Psalms 19:14, we read, Let the words of my mouth be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. So my thoughts today are, there is a right way to pray and there is a wrong way. And we all want to be able to pray effectively. And the two uh, other subjects that, um, words that I want to add to this uh, praying effectively are the words humility. Uh, okay, he doesn't have that up yet. Humility and mercy, but those are in your outline. These are the two words I want to concentrate on this morning. <clears throat> so let's look at humility. The word humility is derived from the Latin word humus, which means of the earth. 
The original meaning suggests that one put their faces down in the dirt, submitting themselves to the authority of another. Am I too loud? Is is okay? Okay. Um, that submitting themselves to the authority of another without personal pride, being non-assuming, unpretentious, cons- uh, conscious of one's shortcomings, not self-assertive, not proud. So there is a complete meaning of the word humility. Basically, uh, it is the opposite of pride. It is one's thoughts about themselves, their position, uh, where they uh, stand. Uh, and it's very... Uh, necessary as as Christians to uh, not be proud because as one of the scriptures there listed it says in first Peter 5 5 God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble resist that's another interesting word it's really a military word taken from military word and it's like a resisting in war. So it's a very strong word. God resists someone. Uh, and there are, I know you know there are many uh, scriptures about that. He resists someone. He doesn't listen to someone who is approaching him with that frame of mind, pride. But someone that is humble. And, and you see I uh, have many instances here where... Humility is personified in people that did approach the Lord uh, with humility. So Second Chronicles 7.14 reads, If my people, these are in your notes, again, his people talking to us, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. So right there we can um, pause and realize there's something we have to do for ourselves. I can't humble you, and you can't humble me, because it's our own opinion. It's what we think of ourselves. So it's something we have to mentally uh, do, uh, humble ourselves in how we think. Submitting to authority, uh, as so many of the words there I've given you, unpretentious, uh, just real I mean, we have to be real when we approach God because he could see through any hypocrisy, right? I mean, it would be foolish to approach the Lord and be pretentious because he knows us. Uh, So it's something we have to do. We have to make an effort to humble ourselves in the sight of God. James 4.10, humble yourself, the same phrase, in the sight of the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 5, we've already read, God resists the proud, but he reaches out to the humble. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. In other words, therefore, you should humble yourselves if you want God to hear you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. (laughs) <laughs> okay, uh, again, Matthew eighteen four. 
humble yourself as a child, uh, children, especially when they're little. Now, when they get grown, they're going to resist. We know that. Those of us raised children, they're going to have their own mind. But when they're little children, you know, whatever you tell them, they just accept it. They believe you. They don't question you. So when uh, Jesus said, these are his words, humble yourself as a child, we get a visual of uh, another visual of what it means to be humble. Humble yourself as a child. And then the last one in your list there, Micah 6, 8. He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? That's what we want to know. That's what I want to know. I want to know, what does God, you know, how can I be pleasing? What does he want me to do? How does he want me to think? How does he want me to pray? Isn't that what you want? Yes. So what does the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God? And in that verse, we have the two words I'm wanting to focus on this morning, which are humility and mercy. So we want to look, uh, first of all, for examples in the book of uh, Matthew 8, 5 through 10, and then 13. And this is a very familiar story to all of you of the centurion. First of all, the centurion is not a Jew. He's probably a Roman. He's a military man, and he is over 100 men, the word centurion indicating that. So he is a man, Brother Jerry, of stature. He's somebody. He's somebody that other people look up to. And he comes to the Lord And he is not coming for himself. He's coming for his servant. And he says, Lord, he said, I uh, have a servant who is very sick. He is grievously tormented. And um, he says, he's at my house, sick, grievously tormented. Interesting to me that he was at his boss's house. The centurion, he was at his house. And so he says to the Lord, uh, he's grievously sick. And uh, if thou wilt, he says, and Jesus answers him right away in verse 7. And he says, Lord, uh, he says, I will come and heal him. Wow, it looks like. That would have been the end of the story right there. It looks like he was heard. Jesus agreed, and he was going to go and heal him. But here in the rest of that story, you get the picture of humility. Oh, no, he says, Lord, I am not worthy. Words of humility. I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. I'm not worthy. My house is not good enough. I'm not good enough. No. He said, I'm a man under authority, recognizing that Jesus was. And he said, you know, my people, my men, when I say go, they go. 
And when I say come, they come. And when I say do this, they do it. And he said, just speak the word. That's what I do. I don't have to explain to my servants. I just say, go and do this. And they go and do it. And he said, just speak the word. Praise the Lord. And you know what? God looked at him and he marveled. And there's only two places in the word of God where you find those words that Jesus marveled. In Jesus' ministry, he only marveled twice where it's written. This is one of the places. And he marveled because of his faith and I'm sure because of his humility. And the other place where Jesus marveled was in Nazareth when the people would not believe him because he was raised there and he was like the carpenter's son. And it said that Jesus marveled at their unbelief. But here, the story of the centurion, he marveled. And he says in verse 10 to the people that were around seeing this, I tell you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. In verse 13, Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so it be done unto thee. And his servant was healed that very hour. Praise the Lord, because he knew how to approach the Lord. He wasn't a Jew. He probably didn't know the scriptures, but he recognized Jesus of who he was. And that's what I'm wanting to say, that when we approach God, we have to realize he's up there and we're down here. And oh, yes, mentally, we should think of ourselves as just putting our head in the dirt and saying, Lord, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. But I approach him. But you are everything. You can do everything. I can't do anything without you. I tell the Lord in my prayers first thing in the morning, God, I don't want to live a day without you. I really mean that. I really mean that. I don't want to live this day. I can't make it without you. I don't want to live a day without you. So let's try to be always humble. Now, uh, if we look in the Old Testament in Daniel, your other reference there is of the three Hebrew children. <clears throat> and we're all familiar with that story. I'm sorry, my voice is so raspy. I wish it was strong like my son. Has. <laughs> And it's getting worse. <laughs> but it's okay. Uh, <clears throat> so, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, these were the three Hebrew children in this story that were captive. They were young. They were in a foreign land in Babylon. And God had banished the Jews, punished them, put them into captivity. And Nebuchadnezzar was the king. And even though these three men were not Babylonians, they were Jews, they were captives, he gave them positions over provinces. So he 
there was something about them that, that he uh, recognized their abilities. So he, they were in his favor, these, these three Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the king made a decree, and he made a big statue of gold. And the decree was that when they played this music, and if you read the account here in uh, Daniel, it's interesting because um, not only did they have one instrument, but they had uh, a trumpet, and there's a list of all the instruments that they had like an orchestra, and when they sounded them all, if you didn't hear one, you'd probably hear the other one. There was just a, a variety of instruments that would sound, and when they did, you had to bow to this golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had erected, and the decree said, if you didn't, then you would be thrown into a fiery furnace. Now, Everybody, they made sure everybody in that land knew nobody wanted to go into a fiery furnace. So they did it. They would sound all these instruments and all the people in this uh, Babylonian uh, country, they would bow down to this God, except for three, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. They would not bow down. They knew who their God was, and that's the only God they were going to bow down to. And so some of the people, men in that country, maybe it was jealousy. It could have been jealousy easily. And they went to the king and they said, you know, these three guys that you have elevated, I can see a little jealousy there. And you've put them over provinces. Well, guess what? They don't regard you or your law. And when the trumpets and all these instruments are sounded and they're all supposed to bow down, these three men, they will not bow. You know, years ago they wrote a song. You remember, Jerry? They wouldn't bow, blah, blah, blah. And anyway, so the king listened. He said, okay. And he was very fair. He said, I'll go talk to them. So he did. And uh, he uh, brought them in, and he said, uh, is it true that you do not bow to this image that I have erected? And they said, yes, that's true. And if you read uh, in here uh, in the reference in verse 17, uh, the king had also said this, no one that can deliver you if I throw you in the fiery furnace. What God is, that was his words, what God is going to deliver you if I throw you into the furnace? And look at verse 17, if you found this passage. They said, if it be so, our God, whom we serve, he is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thine hand but if not and I underline that in verse 18 they're saying you know we know that he can do it we know that but if he doesn't O king we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up 
In other words, we know God can do it, but he may not. But even if he doesn't, that doesn't mean he couldn't. We will not bow down and serve. And, you know, haven't we prayed that prayer? And it's the right way to pray. Now, Lord, you know, if you're sick, I know you can heal me. I know you've healed hundreds of people, and, and what I have is, is nothing for you. You could just speak the word, and, and I would be healed. But if you don't, and this is a good way to pray, I'll still serve you. I'm not going to walk out on you. Amen. Amen. That is humility. That's humility. That is seeking him the right way. And because we know the rest of the story, God delivered them, and they didn't get burned, and they were a testimony, and Nebuchadnezzar had to recognize that their God was the God. Praise God. Okay, now let's look at another example in Luke 18 of how to pray effectively. How to reach the throne. There is a right way. There is a right way. The publican and the sinner in Luke 18. And Jesus gave this example. He spoke a parable unto them that they should always pray and they should not faint. And he was, he was talking to them about prayer. And he gave this example in Luke 18 and uh, 10. And he said, there were two men, verse 10, that went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other one was a publican. Two men one of high stature and one just an ordinary citizen. And the Pharisee, here's how he approached God. He stood. He didn't bow down. He just stood up and he said, God, I thank you that I am not as other men. (laughs) That's not humility, is it? He said, I thank God I'm not as other men. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not an adulterer. Uh, He says, Uh, I am a good person, in other words. And he says in verse 12, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I possess. He was qualifying himself in the eyes of God. We can't do that because we're all sinners, right? There is none righteous, no, not one. That did not impress God. It didn't impress him at all. And so then the other one, Jesus gave this story. And so the publican stood afar off and he wouldn't so much as lift up his eyes. Maybe he was bowed down. Humility. He wouldn't even. He wouldn't even lift his eyes. He wouldn't. Unto heaven. But he smote his breast, saying, God. His words were very few, but they were words of humility. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man went away justified. In other words, God forgave him 
of his sins, but not the other one, rather than the other one. For everyone, verse 14, that exalteth himself shall be abased. Everyone that's proud is going to be brought down. Everyone. Yes. Everyone that is exalted shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Wow. There's a promise from Jesus, his own words. If you want to be lifted up, humble yourself. If you want me to resist you, approach me with pride, and I will resist you. All right, the last example there in this group is, I love this story about the rich young ruler. And this uh, account is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but I've just given you Mark's uh, reference here. And so in Mark 10, if you want to turn there, uh, 17 through 21, this is that story, and I'm sure you're all familiar with it, but I want to use it as an example of what we're talking about today. So Mark 10 and uh, 17 to uh, 21 says in 17 there came one to him and kneeled to him to Jesus and said good master what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life he did kneel down he didn't he showed a little bit of humility this rich young man and Jesus said to him why callest thou me good there is none good but one that is God And I've often thought when I've read this passage that, uh, Denise, this was a a revelatory passage because the uh, he uh, Jesus, the way I look at this verse, he's saying, "While you call me good, there's only one good that's God." Well, there there he was, God, but the rich young ruler didn't have that revelation. So instead of saying, "You are good because you are God," He just let that go by. But Jesus threw that out there. So uh, he says, Jesus says to him, okay, you didn't get that. Let's talk about the commandments. He said, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't kill. Don't steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. If you look at one of the other passages, it, uh, when Jesus said, you know the commandments, the rich young ruler said, which ones? He, Jesus said, just keep the commandments. And the rich young ruler said, which ones? You know, he wanted to be sure. Maybe he didn't, you know, he wanted to, that he covered everything and he kept all the important ones if there was such a thing. But here we don't get that. But in another passage about the same thing, he said, which commandments? But here... Uh, Luke, uh, Mark just says, and he answered and said unto the Lord, and I'm sure he felt really justified. Master, all these have I observed from my youth. He thought, oh, I'm in good standing. 
Everything that Jesus said that I should do, don't kill, don't steal, you know, don't uh, commit adultery, don't uh, uh, defraud, honor your mother and father. He said, I have done all those ever since I was a child. And he felt so good that he felt like he had the right answer. And look at verse 21. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. And I have underlined in my Bible, loved him. Jesus loved him. This was a good man. He loved him. And he, there are people, and we know righteous people, and God loves them. And God regards that they do good and they don't, you know, break maybe the commandments. But this wasn't enough because we can never be righteous in ourselves. But he loved him. He loved him. Then he said unto him, but one thing you lack. That's good. You've done all those things. But there's one thing that you lack. Sell all that you have, give to the poor, and come and follow me. And in verse 22, it says, and he was sad. He didn't even answer Jesus. He was sad. Now, here's something he couldn't do because he didn't want to. He could have, but he didn't want to. And he was sad at that saying, and he went away grieved, for he had great possessions. He also had pride. There's no humility there. He had pride. He wasn't going to. He didn't regard Jesus to be more important than his possessions. And he went away grieved. Now, if you look at your uh, outline, so how do you develop a humble heart? And I just wrote a few things down, and I've talked about number one. Maintain the right perspective of how great God is. Never, ever. You know, I've had the Holy Ghost 71 years. Hallelujah. 71 years. That doesn't mean that I have more standing with God than someone that had it sit seven months. Because the Bible even says the first shall be last and the last should be first. I could backslide tomorrow if I choose to. And then all of that wouldn't make any difference. Uh, But I still, it doesn't matter how long you've been saved. You have to maintain a humble spirit a humble attitude. And we have to have the right perspective of how little we are, how great God is. He's omniscient, he's omnipotent, and he's omnipresent and how little we are. And pray for a humble heart. If you have problem with pride and you know you do, just ask God to give you a humble heart. Uh, Number three, thank God often. Thankfulness stops pride from growing. When you have thankfulness and a thankful spirit, that'll keep you humble when you realize how much God has done. Confess your sins to God regularly. You know, there are things we do that we know along the way that we need to confess. Listen to others. Don't be so proud that you think you know it all or that I think I know it all. 
you know, listen, listen to others. There's always somebody smarter. My mom used to tell me that. She'd say, Booba, you know, that's what she called me. She'd say, Booba, she'd say, you want to go with people that are smarter than you. And she was right. That was good. Because even in Proverbs, it bears that out. It says, iron sharpeneth iron. If you want to be smart or wise, then associate with wise people. That was good advice. Listen to others. And then six, consider others' needs as well as your own. Philippians 2, 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Don't be self-centered. Don't be self-centered. Number eight, have a sense of humor. Don't take yourself so seriously. Ask questions. And a good quote is, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. All right. And now uh, you have more on turn your paper over and there's more on the back there that we want to look at. Okay, so we've talked about humility and how important that is, how we have to learn to be humble and to approach God with a humble frame of mind. And now I want to talk about mercy. Mercy. The Bible tells us God is rich in mercy has abundant mercy, and he's full of mercy. And one of the first um, definitions that I have there, and I've, wrote and I've written several uh, in the definition of mercy, but the first one is kindness. And I bought this little sign at Cracker Barrel one day, and it says, Kindness matters. Kindness matters. Mercy matters. It's important to be kind. It matters. And it's important to have mercy and not be judgmental. So is kindness uh, in excess of what you may expect, refraining from punishing, a disposition to forgive and, again, be kind, compassionate treatment, and pity. So that is the definition of mercy. And Hebrews 4.15 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. First of all, when you approach God, ask for mercy. God, have mercy on me. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. You don't have to do this, but I would appreciate it if you would. You ever prayed like that? You don't have to, but I'd be really happy if you did. But you can approach him boldly because he's rich in mercy. That's why we can come boldly to the throne, because he's rich in mercy. Um that you might find grace. Remember, it's of his mercies that we're not consumed. And then Lamentation, speaking of mercy, says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. And, of course, that's another meaning of mercy is compassion. 
He's always going to be merciful. Hallelujah. If I fall or falter, he's always going to have compassion on me and you. Because that's his nature. That is God's nature. A nature of compassion and mercy. Thank God for that. Psalms 32.8. David said, I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. David would have never made it if God wasn't rich in mercy. Murder and adultery. Commandments that he broke. But he found out how merciful God was. And he said, I trust in his mercy forever and ever. It's always going to be there if we approach him with the right spirit. And now uh, go with me to uh, Luke 17. And we're going to look at another example of these two characteristics of humility and mercy. Luke 17 and 12, and this is a story that you've read and you've heard preached. Jesus entered into a certain village, and when he did, ten men that were lepers stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices, and what did they say? Master, have mercy on us. Very first thing. Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go yourselves unto the priest, and show yourself to the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Now, where I see humility there is when they asked God to cleanse them, and he said he did, nothing happened until they followed the second commandment, which was go your way and show yourself to the priests. Nothing happened until they took those steps of faith and went to the priests, because in those days... The priest had to verify if you were healed of leprosy. So there was humility. They didn't say, wait a minute, Jesus, are you sure? Because my hands and everything is, nothing's changed. They just obeyed. And humility also involves just obey. Just do it. Just do it. Don't ask questions. Just do it. There's commandments in the word of God. Maybe you don't understand. Why do I have to do that? Just do it. <laughs> Just do it. Uh, you know, I think, was it Nancy Reagan, uh, John, that had that saying, just do it, uh, concerning drugs? In other words, just give them up. Just don't ask a lot of questions. You know, it's wonderful. And we've been, my husband and I, all of our life in the ministry. And it's wonderful to pastor people that just believe the word, isn't it? It's just like he said, nail it down, do it. Don't ask a lot of questions. <laughs> don't ask a lot of questions, just do it. You know, just do it. You don't understand it. 
Well, we all we all have things we don't understand. And, uh, you know, this is just me now. This is not my subject, but there's lots of days when I'm combing my hair and I'm like, Lord, I can see why this is the requirement because it'd be so much easier if I could just get a comb and just do this and go out the door. And I say, no, why would God require that? Well, it's, it's a sacrifice. That's why it's a sacrifice. So I just do it. I just do it. And there's so many things. Just do it. Don't ask a lot of questions. Uh, okay, let's go back. <laughs> and so now we want to look again at Mark. And we're looking at mercy and humility. That's what we want to look at in these examples. So this is another very familiar story about uh, the blind man, uh, Bartimaeus. Such a beautiful story, and we've heard it. But I just want us to look at it, you know, one more time. Mark 10, 46 to 52. And there came, they came to Jericho, and as they went out of Jericho with his disciples, a great multitude of priests, uh, of people, it's not easy to see up here. Uh, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timotheus, sat by the wayside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus, he began to cry out. And what's the first thing he said? Have mercy on me. The very first thing. Have mercy on me. And the next verse. And they charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the lot more loud. He didn't care. You talk about humility. He didn't care what anybody said. He had a need from the Lord. And uh, Jesus, have mercy on me twice. That's the second time. Approaching the Lord with those words. Very biblical way to pray. Have mercy on me. Whatever your needs are, have mercy on me. Whatever you need. And remember... Always that he has a lot of mercy. He is a merciful God. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man saying, be of good comfort. He's calling you. And he casted away his garment and he rose and came to Jesus. And I did a little research on the garment and it was interesting. Here's what it says. The garment The blind man's garment was given to him to signify that he couldn't work. It was a certain garment given for a reason. And this garment uh, signified that he was a beggar. He had nothing to offer and no purpose. The garment signified his identity. Whenever you, if you saw him and you didn't, No, he was blind, but you could see the garment. You said, oh, this is a beggar man. Interesting that when Jesus called him, he got rid of it. That tells me that he's thinking, I don't think I'm going to need this anymore. He got rid of it. He cast it away. Cast it away. And he came to Jesus. And... He called the blind and he said it to him, be of good comfort. 
Oh, no, uh, reading down to verse, I'm sorry, it's very dark up here. Uh, 51, and Jesus answered and said, what wilt thou that I should do? And the blind man didn't say, really, can't he see that I'm blind? Why is he asking? (laughs) But he said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, go your way, thy faith hath made thee whole, and immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus. The interesting thing about that is I've read and seen documentaries. If a blind person, even after surgery, if they receive their sight, it's a process for them to gradually see things. It doesn't happen simultaneously like it did here. I'm, I'm done. I had a couple of more examples, but I hope I have, I hope I've given you what was in my heart and what I felt like was necessary when we approach God. Lord, have mercy on me. I'm nothing. If you do it, wonderful. But if you don't, I'm going to serve you. Let's all stand.